look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli. My co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot. It's hot. I'm not, we can't complain, though. No. no, we can't, but it's, it's still hot. The alternative, yeah. it could be snowing. Why? If we have to pick a complaint, yes. let's not complain about it being yeah, hot. Yeah, well, you, you do that every year to me when it's that. The three days of heat that we get and I complain about it, you're like, it could be snowing. <laughs> And the 75 days of snow that we get, you could say, well, just look for the next three That's days of right. the heat wave. Exactly. Can't wait till it's 30 above again. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, listen, I'm not complaining, and, and I don't do so good in the real extreme heat. This is, this is going to be a, an interesting week for sure. But as I said, if I'm going to pick my poison, I'm picking this one. There you go. we got a good show this week, my friend. We're going to talk a little bit about um, RIF rules. You know, are the, are the current registered income fund rules, when you convert to an RSP into a RIF and have to take income, are they harming our retirement? Yeah, and this is a big problem. Right. If you think about how many Canadians contribute to an RSP, yeah. with the intention that's going to protect them or provide them some sort of income in the future when they retire. Fast forward now, if you're at least over the age of 72 or you've decided to convert your RSPs into an income-producing vehicle like a RIF, yep. um, the rules of the government put out are, at least in some opinion, archaic, detrimental, and, and it's not a level playing field, right? Correct. It's, it, compared to some other retirement income programs. So this is, a, I think, a big problem considering where we are in the economy. I'm going to make my points on why I think people who have an RSP are in big-time risk when it comes to uh, their withdrawal, the RIF that they're going to be withdrawing from. So that's a concern. And since we're on the topic of mm. you know, big-time concerns... <laughs> So Dave, let's just say you're, you're, you're pretty close to this age of getting your, your CPP. Um, you're going to receive it. You get a notification from the government. Here's the amount you're going to get. You get it. You get your check. You get a deposit in your account. Away you go. And everything you're entitled to, right? And every, you think, yeah, it's good. I got my money. Mm -hmm. What if it wasn't the right amount? What if you were shortchanged? How would you know? And it's estimated there's 655,000 Canadians right now being shortchanged. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And you know what? One article on one, on one uh, news network that talked about it. Right. 650,000 plus Canadians impacted by this. Potentially. Potentially impacted. But impacted. Yep. Potential or not, it's yep. an impact. Yep. And, and no one's really talking about it. So I'm glad we're talking about it on yeah, the yeah. show. Well, think it's important? Absolutely. We'll educate you on it. So stick around for that. That's an important piece. Canadians are very sensitive, sensitive to those government entitlements. You've worked your whole life. You contributed. You deserve what you deserve, right? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk about markets this week. Um, uh, you know, generally speaking, markets were pretty optimistic again. There's a couple of key things. We know the markets are trading on the sort of the vaccine rollout, which is a proxy for how quickly economies can reopen. Yeah. We know that markets are trading on optimism around stimulus, and it's trading on fears of inflation, right? So those are kind of the big driving forces. Um, we got some interesting um, developments this week with the Biden administration mm -hmm. and the big infrastructure plan. Yeah. Looks like they've got some, it's, it's complicated always their process, but there's some bipartisan support on a $579 billion infrastructure plan, roads, highways, um, uh, bridges, um, uh, telecommunications infrastructure, all those kinds of things. 
Uh, market really received that very well, that there's that is in fact more stimulus that'll push the economy. You saw companies like Caterpillar responding yes. based on that, right? Real sort of core industrial um, responses. Bond markets didn't react too much, right? We did get some inflation data again this week, some key data that the Fed watches. If you look at the absolute number, it was pretty high. What was interesting about the bond market, and the reason why we keep on talking about the bond market is because the bond market is an indicator of the economy. Mm -hmm. The stock market is an indicator of future earnings of the companies in that market. Now, the bond market is saying two things from what, what I'm seeing, and I want to get your opinion on this because uh, sometimes we, we have difference of views of, of what the bond market's saying. Over the long term, the next 10 years, no major change. Mm -hmm. In the short term, it's getting a bit more expensive. So what that does, if you think about it, the difference between a two-year bond and a 10-year bond for the U.S. government or the Canadian government, the minute you start to see the moving of the short term, the two-year moving up, and no movement on the bond year, you're now calling flattening the curve. Right. Flattening of the curve, and if it continues, is one of the best predictors of a recession. Mm -hmm. Well, you can go inverted, right? That's the inversion. So flattening right. means, yeah, but as it gets flat, yep. that's an indicator yeah, yeah. that there's a recession that's coming. That's right, it's slowing. Long-term growth is slowing, right. So what is happening in the stock market is not necessarily the same story of what's happening in the bond market. Right. And let's put inflation aside, but we're just talking about the economy as a whole. Right. How can these companies continue to grow at the rate that they're growing with what the market is pricing them at when the bond market's saying, uh, things are slowing down? So we'll have to kind of get a gauge of which way this bond market is moving to give us the indicator on is earnings going to be able to grow at that pace going forward? Uh, see, that's interesting. So let me jump in there for just a second. I know you might want to finish your thought there. But, but I think the bond market, uh, I think the stock market's actually responding to that in some way in terms of the reflation trade. So what we saw this week also is kind of that the higher growth names starting to move up again. Money flowing back growth in there and value. away from some of those quote-unquote value stocks, yep. right? So, so given what the bond market is signaling, the stock market, I think, is taking a look at that and saying, oh, okay, well, if maybe we, we have captured a lot of that reflation trade already, now it's time to rotate back to the companies that, given the current environment, can show us uh, better than top, uh, you know, better growth than than its peer group, right? Absolutely, and better growth than the economy. <laughs> yeah, and when the economy starts to slow down or yeah. adjust because of inflation or whatever it may be, yeah. Generally speaking, you start to see a tilt towards, or a you'll pay more for a company that can give you growth regardless of that economic situation. Right. And the bond market has said we're fairly stable. We've bought the, not just the Fed, but global central banks message that they have the tools necessary to keep this under control, right? So number one, we're going to buy for the time being that inflation is temporary. These spikes are because of base effects comparing to last year. Number two, we think longer term, central banks can actually control that, right? They're, they're well equipped to deal with it and not let inflation run away. Here's what I find interesting, what happened this week that we in Canada have not put the pressure on our federal government on. The Americans came out with a bipartisan deal. When was the last time we heard a bipartisan deal come out of, out of, the, out of Ottawa? I don't know. Infrastructure being one of the most biggest opportunities to revitalize an economy domestically right. without requiring foreign, require, uh, foreign uh, content to come right. in. You don't need 
a whole bunch of foreign workers to come in. You don't need a whole bunch of foreign companies to come in. When you have an infrastructure plan within your own country, that's a big domestic demand growth system right there. Absolutely. And we have yet to hear from our federal government a bipartisan plan. And the reason why I say bipartisan, they're in a minority government. Right. They might even have to have a three-party approval. Can they get all three party leaders or three members from each party together in a room and sort this out of how we're going to boost the economy? Is everything just based on vaccinations and, and, and relief for employment? When are we going to get together and start talking about, hey, we've got a country that's aging. Yep. And I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about the actual infrastructure in this country. Yep. We can actually not do the same thing by basically covering up our problems, band-aid solutions, and we can actually take off and go further. And yes, there is an environmental uh, um, uh, agenda by this federal government. We know that. So why can't they incorporate it now? Yep. Why can't we lock three of the, of, or even all four party leaders in a room to get a plan going, or four members from each party uh, to, in a room and sort this out and do not get out of that room until we have an agreement that we can help our own country. Why do we always depend on other countries? This is the problem that we're seeing right now. Yep. This is how our country will be faced over the next five years. So when I'm looking at the stock market of where to invest, and am I gonna invest in a, in a company that's solely dependent on the government to help them through the process, or can I invest in a company that can go global? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. And let's go back to workers for just a second too, because there was some interesting um, numbers. Uh, it came out of the U United States, but it was their first time unemployment claims number. The, the headline number I wasn't all that interested in, but I was interested in looking at Missouri, Mississippi, and Iowa because they quit their government subsidy, their pandemic uh, subsidy programs, unemployment programs, in June 12th. Yep. And you saw a plunge in the unemployment rate there. People went back to work. There's 26 more states not doing that until September, yep. right? Although they should be considered, I think many are considering doing it earlier. So, you know, if we're going to get people back to work also, we got to give them incentive to be at work so we can get this economy fully back up and running because we know there's a disconnect right now between businesses reopening and their ability to get people to work. Absolutely. There's not many things more important from an income perspective to most Canadians than their RIFs, right, for, uh, for income as we get older. Yeah, a RIF is a retirement income fund. That's yeah. when at RSP time, uh, at the age of 71, you have to convert to what's called a RIF or a retirement income fund. Uh, and that's when the government mandates how much on a minimum basis you have to withdraw from your RSPs or from that savings pool um, the rules have, uh, have uh, been around for a long time. Yep. The minimum payments have been around for a while. Um, but it becomes a very interesting situation considering the amount of money people have to take, people's tax situations and so forth. And, you know, when you, when you have people like a think tank like C.D. Howe looking into this type of stuff, mm -hmm. uh, they come up with some great points and some great concerns as well that we should, we should be addressing with yeah. all of our, our viewers and listeners. Yeah, you know, Fizzle, things are evolving all the time, right? Uh, and we see temporary changes made to RIFs when you get pandemics and crises and so on and so forth. But the fact is we've got an aging population, tax changes come in. It's always, it's always changing. And so it, it begs that we need to be constantly challenging the rules and seeing how it can be improved, uh, you know, as those things change. And we've got Bill Robson, who's the Chief Executive Officer of C.D. Howe Institute, uh, joining us from Toronto. Bill, first of all, thank you for taking some time with us today. My, my pleasure. Glad to be here and glad to be taking this topic on. Yeah, well, we're, we're uh, appreciative of the fact that you are. Um, maybe just start, uh, I think Faisal did a pretty good job there of uh, giving a rundown of what a, a registered income fund is, but maybe just refresh our listeners and viewers uh, about um, some of the key elements of that 
of the current program for a registered income fund? Well, sure. Uh, we can start very high level uh, and, and ask um, what it is that governments are, are trying to do in this whole area of retirement saving. Uh, and the, the, the very high level picture is that there's broad recognition that it makes sense to provide tax relief on money that goes into retirement saving plans. Uh, if you didn't do that, thinking of, of corporate uh, pension plans, for example, there'd be very strong incentive for people to make promises but not back them up, uh, not actually put the money aside. And so the idea is that you provide tax relief on the way in, and uh, as a matter of fairness, you want to make the same saving opportunities available to people who don't have corporate or, or government pension plans. Uh, but the government limits these things uh, on the way in, and then on the way out, as you were just discussing, uh, there are mandatory with minimum withdrawals from RIFs and similar types of products. And the motivation uh, with those mandatory minimum withdrawals is a little bit the same as what it is with the limits on the contributions going in. Uh, governments really like to collect revenue uh, at, the, at the earliest possible date that they can. So they are kind of grudging with respect to these contribution limits on the way in. And they're kind of, in my view, over-enthusiastic about forcing people to draw their savings down and therefore pay tax on it on the way out. So one of the things that we've been looking at a lot at the C.D. Howe Institute is kind of big picture. Why would you have such limits at all? And given that there are going to be some limits, uh, what's appropriate given how long people live and what the returns are on their investments and what kind of income that you need to, to live on in retirement? So all of those things at the moment say to me, uh, the limits are kind of low. I think that the limits on the way in ought to be higher. Uh, certainly if you're an MP or you're a federal public servant, you're saving a whole lot more for retirement than that in a tax deferred way. And then on the way out, the main topic for today, uh, I think that the drawdowns are too quick. I think people are forced to run their tax deferred saving down faster than is really uh, desirable and certainly for people who want that security well into old age. So I think it is time to look at the whole system and certainly we should be starting with the RIF limits because they really do force people to draw their savings down at a rate, particularly if you're a woman with uh, uh, returns on safe securities like government bonds as low as they are now, your chances of outliving your tax deferred saving have really gone up. Bill, there, there's been a lot of debate in, in the past about the RRSP to be a similar type of mechanism as a defined benefit pension plan. In fact, the government rules state that if you're putting money or you have a defined benefit pension plan, you may not be able to put as much money in an RRSP anyway. They're, they kind of compare the two as the same thing. And you were talking about on the way in money going into, a, into an RRSP, similar to a defined benefit pension plan. But on the way out, the defined benefit pension plan is a little bit more advantageous versus a RIF in many cases. You did talk about that in, in previous write-ups that you've done. Kind of give us an idea of where the comparison is and then where does it contrast from? Well, the, the idea that the two should be equivalent, that if you're in a defined benefit plan uh, or an RRSP or a defined contribution plan, some other type of uh, saving mechanism, that there should be a fairly level playing field, kind of, it's intuitively attractive. Uh, uh, you wouldn't want people, uh, as a, sometimes happens nowadays, uh, you know, people kind of are attracted to government jobs because the, the pension's better. You'd rather not have a tilted playing field. So it makes sense if you're going to have these limits to make them apply across the board and to try and, and make them fair so that, uh, you know, it's not attractive for somebody to work in the public sector versus the private sector or, some, you know, some other kind of thing that... Uh, complicates people's employment decisions. Um, what you have to be at paying attention to is 
you know, what kind of uh, income in retirement is possible through an annuity or a defined benefit pension plan uh, versus some arrangement where you're you're putting the money in and then say drawing it down in a RIF. And what it really comes down to is uh, two things: uh, how long people are likely to live and what kind of returns are available on the sorts of investments that are appropriate for somebody uh, who's you know getting getting older. Uh, and in both of those areas, when the rules were originally put in place, both for accumulating and for drawing down, uh, people were not living as long. And the returns on safe investments, including government bonds, uh, were much higher, uh, including in real terms, uh, much higher than inflation, say five or six percentage points above inflation. And in a circumstance like that, uh, it's not that hard to uh, provide retirement security for yourself. Um, but in the modern world where people are living a good deal longer and real returns on safe investments, in fact, they're almost negative nowadays if you think of the CPI where it is and, and yields on government bonds being where they are, that's where the difficulty is. And so that's why I mentioned both the accumulation and the decumulation side, because the same factors, longevity and the rate of return on safe investments affect both of them. And in the case of defined benefit pension plans, where you're promised an annuity for life, it's not the same as when you have to manage these things on your own and you're worried about outliving your saving. We've got less than two minutes left. I want to make one comment that I want to go back to you about some some things that the government should do or think about, uh, maybe three things they should consider when it comes to RIFs. Um, here's the problem that we're facing in today's market and economy. Right now, interest rates pretty much all-time low. Mm. When, you, when you age and you go into an, an RSP and then you turn it into a RIF, generally speaking 71 years of age, your risk tolerance draws down. You don't have that kind of comfort of taking big swings with your, with your savings. And so you're kind of getting pushed to, uh, to take on safer investments, yet they're not providing the same yield. This is what Bill keeps on talking about, safe investments, safe investments. What the government, along with the, situ the current economy, the current economy has done, has pushed people up the risk spectrum in their retirement savings. So they're taking on more equity, they're taking on more risk, they have a higher propensity of losing some or all of that money. That puts a big burden on the taxpayer because then we have to take care of these, uh, these individuals who've had just bad luck or, or uh, improper investing given their, their tolerances. So there's a problem with that. This becomes a vicious circle in yep. my opinion. Uh, so we're, I'm going to go back to you now, Bill. Knowing that there's this whole landscape of these types of issues, what are two or three things the government can do in order to, to alleviate or even negate this problem? Well, the very first thing I'd like to see them do is make the mandatory RIF withdrawals and the rules that apply to similar types of vehicles uh, less less onerous, less demanding, uh, because uh, we do need to make that money last longer. And I'm very glad that you mentioned the, uh, uh, the, the danger that people are getting tempted into more risky investments. One of the things that I really do not like about the mandatory RIF drawdowns is that it's true you can put the money into a TFSA. It's true there are other things that you can do with the money, but but the very fact that, say, in, you know, in your in your late 80s or your 90s, you're being forced to make these transitions, that adds a layer of risk as well. Uh, uh, that's not a great time of life to be suddenly making new big investment decisions. So that's the very first thing that I would like to see the government do. I'd like to see those mandatory minimum withdrawals uh, get lower. And when governments say, well, yeah, but we got to collect the tax revenue, they will. At the end of your life, the CRA is very good at collecting the money and the government's a more they can wait. Whereas for us as individuals, you want to be confident that that tax deferred money is going to last as long as you are. Bill, I think we're going to have to shut it down there. Uh, thank you. Uh, we can't do justice to this particular topic in 10 minutes, but I think you've, you've uh, raised some awareness on some issues that 
uh, will likely continue to uh, to resonate with some. Thank you for your time. I hope they do. The governments have moved on this before. They can do it again, and it's time they did. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. We've been joined by Bill Robson, Chief Executive Officer of the C.D. Howe Institute. Um, government pensions are something that people are very, very sensitive about, and rightfully so, right? Oh, you nice setup. Canada nice pension setup. plan. <laughs> You've worked your whole life in Canada, or some portion of that. You've been right? contributing, contributing for to years. It, right. Yeah. Um, you know, people want to get the maximum pension that they're eligible for, depending on the decisions that they make of when to take it, and so on and so forth. Here, here's what I find very interesting. Um, maybe because we're Canadians, this yeah. is a kind of our mantra. You know, we, we've contributed to the Canadian Pension Plan. They tell us how much we're going to get. Uh, if we receive that paper or we've seen it, uh, then a check comes or an automatic deposit into our bank account, and that's it. Right. We don't question it. Correct. We don't wonder if that's the full amount or not the right amount or what. We just don't always question it. Right. Uh, which is interesting. Mm hmm um, and then you find out that maybe Canadians are not getting their full amount. Right. That gets our attention. It does. And yeah. so I think we need to talk to people who figured this out, that they're well, not getting their right. full amount, right? Certainly so. caught somebody, somebody else's attention. I'll introduce our guest in a minute. But back in 2019, I think it was, the government uh, has gone through, CPP has gone through an enhancement program. And the idea being that um, um, contributions made by you and I as employees and our employers were to go up. And that was to, in the future, enhance further the amount of pension benefit that we're to receive. Well, it turns out that perhaps the systems aren't in place yet for those people that would have retired in 2019, like so let's say February 19 or later, to actually capture that portion of the enhancement that they're entitled to. And that's what we want to talk about today. We've got a, uh, a guest that uh, um, has certainly done the math and uncovered this particular problem. Doug Runchy is the owner of DR Pensions Consulting. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for doing the show on this subject. Yeah, and I'm going to give you a layup here because I'd like you to, to, to just, um, you discovered this doing some math with a client of yours and you came up with a discrepancy that you couldn't account for and you did a bit of investigation. Tell us a little bit about that and what you found. Yeah, I, I do calculations all the time for clients uh, for a number of different reasons, one of which is to help them decide when to take their CPP. So I had done a calculation for somebody that was starting their CPP effective January 2021, uh, and they had earnings in both 2019 and 2020. Uh, and so I had told them how much to expect in, in, in their payment. Uh, and when they got their payment, it was a little bit smaller than I had told them, not, not a lot, but a little bit smaller. And they came back to me and said, how come? So I, I did some further checking to make sure I hadn't made a mistake and, and identified fairly quickly that the reason was the, all they were receiving was the basic portion of their calculation and not the enhanced portion. Oh, that's okay. We understand you're a busy man. Let's talk a little bit about what the enhanced penef uh, the benefit is and what the, uh, what the program is that was, I guess, missing. Now, you have spoken, I think, also to the government department responsible for this, and you've gotten some feedback. So flesh out a little bit about what people should be expecting and why, what that difference is due to, and then what you anticipate to happen. Okay. Uh, the enhanced is being phased in over about 45 years. So uh, eventually it'll be a significant increase to the CPP amount, approximately 50% more than what it is currently. Uh, but... It's, it's being phased in over 40 years in that 
your earnings are your enhanced earnings are averaged over 40 years and then it's being further phased in the first five years uh, are not a full 140th even the first year was 15 percent of of the eventual amount second year 30 percent and and 2021 is up to the 50 percent so we're, we're being phased in really gradually but what it works out to, if, if you had maximum earnings in 2019, it would increase your CPP retirement pension at age 65 by just about exactly $1.50. Uh, and maximum earnings in 2020 would be a $3 increase. So right now, that's all that anybody is missing out on, about $4.50. By the end of 2021, this year is going to be worth about $5. It's up to almost $9 a month or a little over $9 a month in potentially lost benefits by the end of 2021 if they haven't got the programming fixed by then. And their target to me was a year from now, so about July of 2022. But most of their staff think they're paying the full benefit now. Most of their frontline staff at Service Canada believe, or, or at least they speak as they, though they believe, that they are paying the, the full amount. So they, they're not even telling their staff they're not paying the amount. I, I don't know whose decision it was or wasn't, how conscious it was or they just haven't been able to reprogram their computers and uh, they're, they're not telling anybody about it. So, so Doug, what I find very interesting about this whole situation is this would have never been caught if someone didn't come to you to get the calculation of their Canadian pension plan. And I can probably think, um, maybe I can probably name about as many people on one hand that have actually gone to someone like you to get a calculation done, not only for, for CPP, but for pension valuation to yep. understand, should you commute a pension, should you not? Like it's not, it's not a lot of people who do this. So they're not sure, they're, they're, they're putting the trust and faith in the government on the papers that they receive or the check that they get, and that's all they do. Very, I think it's very Canadian of us to do that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So give some, give some advice to our viewers and listeners about why we think it's important that they should get these types of things checked, maybe even double checked, because uh, they get some information from their employer, they believe it to be true. They get information from the government, they believe it to be true, and it is what it is, and that's how they move on with their lives. But you're catching stuff, and yeah, it's probably a $3 issue today, but it could be hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over their life if, uh, if they miss something like this. Walk me through um, the benefits of using someone like you to, to get their, their, uh, their, their information, and, and accurate information. Yeah. Well, I think you've said it as, as well as I can, is that, uh, and, and as far as I'm aware, there is nobody like me, other than me, for validating the amounts of the Canada Pension Plan. Uh, I worked for the government for 30-some years, and, and part of, one of my roles was uh, in training the staff in how to do the calculations. At that point in time, it was important that the staff understood it. It seems to be now they're trained on how to look up information, but not on, they don't fully understand the, the, the calculation routines behind it, and, and they, they can't explain anything that's not in their manual. 
Um, so the the only way to validate, and, and I'm not suggesting that the government routinely underpays people, and eventually I think they'll get the programs re, redone and they will pay retroactively. There, there's no doubt in my mind that even if I hadn't uncovered this, they eventually would have completed their reprogramming and they would have been the heroes. They would have come out with a bonus two years from now and paid people an extra $100, which is maybe the catch-up for their three years' worth of benefits, and, and then pay them a little bit more each month. But as I say, they're not even being truthful within the department to tell staff that they're not paying it. And, and they've got two different computer systems. The estimate system, the system that spills, spits out the, the SOC, the Statement of Contributions, and the online estimates, it does include the enhanced. So they're telling people up front you should get $1,207 or something, and then they pay the person $1,203, and they don't even explain why the, those two systems aren't the same. Shocking. The left hand's not talking to the right hand, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's shocking. Well, no, absolutely. And Doug, I think you, you, you said something very important there. I was going to ask, what is your expectation of what will happen here? And you said your expectation is that the government will pay on a retroactive basis. So it's not that everybody is going to lose this benefit. It will get caught up at some point. That's the good news. I'm glad you stole their thunder, though, yeah. so that they, they, they don't get to present that as a, uh, as a windfall bonus. It is actually a delayed payment. So, uh, Doug, thank you very much. Thanks for all the work that you do. Thanks for finding that, and I'm glad that you joined us today. Great. Thanks for inviting me. We've been joined by uh, Doug Runchy. He's the owner of DR Pension Consulting. We teased to this particular segment um, talking about uh, really this idea of self-care. Okay? There's a, there's, th this is in so many areas. Parents taking care of children through the pandemic, helping them with a house, or perhaps they've lost a job. Or taking care of their elderly parents. Taking care of the elderly parents. One, one person taking care of another person in that relationship. This idea of self-care, where does it fit in the whole idea of retirement, uh, for longevity, for the lifestyle plan that you've put together. And I think we want to explore that because we've had some interesting conversations over the past, I was going to say week, but it's been far more than that. Um, and it influences different people in different ways, right? But you made an interesting analogy. You, try, you drew an interesting analogy about an airline uh, yeah. process. Yeah. Start with that and let's frame okay. this, let's frame it around that particular Let me go with process. a story of a friend who is taking care of an elderly parent yep. and is working her tail off, makes good money, saving whatever she can. And, and her savings rate is not as high as it could be because she's putting money aside or she's spending money on caring for her parent. But she doesn't know the impact. And so when we have this conversation and I say, you know, you got to look at the bigger picture before mm -hmm. you just try to put out fires. Mm -hmm. And she gets, a, you know, she gives me this little look saying, I don't know really what you're re referring to. And I have to use this analogy that you're talking yeah. about. So we all have, if you've been on an airplane and you know that they go through a safety uh, briefing with you, in that safety briefing, uh, after they talk about the seatbelt, they talk about when the event, there's a cabin pressure change and the masks get deployed. Uh, they show you how to snap that elastic to the back of your head. Yeah. Okay, that's the first part. <laughs> but they also tell you one thing. If you're traveling with a companion or especially someone who is like a child or someone who needs your help. 
The first thing you do is you put the mask on yourself. Then you put the mask on your child or your traveling companion. Yep. And the question is why? Why not just take care of that individual and then put on yours? Because you need to make sure you're okay first before you can take care of somebody that's else. That's exactly right. Yep. And that's the analogy I use, is that in the planning, most people believe that it's an either or situation. Either I take care of my elderly parent or I take care of myself. Right. I can't do both. Right. Which is simply not true. Which is simply not true. What's missing is the plan and structure so you can achieve all those goals. Dave, you have a, you have an, a, a mother who, who needs help. Yep. Now, she's being supported in part by you and your brother. Mm -hmm. Okay. If your financial house wasn't in order, you wouldn't know the impacts to you and your family beyond your mother until many years down the road. Mm -hmm. It and could be catastrophic just, if I didn't know. Could be catastrophic right. or it could be, it is what it is. It wasn't what I was planning, but it is what right. it is now. Right. That's a, not a very, that's a, that's a pretty bad way of, of living. Like when, well, you can, when you could have done more. Well, it could have done more. What, what are we capable of doing? I mean, my brother and I, as you know, we, we sit down and we talk about these things, right? What financial commitments are there going to be? What, is, what help does mom need, right? Um, what is the cost of that care? What is the quality of life that we'd like? She's got to factor all that in. Then we see what resources she has, what resources we have, and we make some plans. And everybody's different, right? And we make some plans based on that. And it changes. Now, keep in mind, what you didn't add on the layer that you both have to discuss, both of you have young kids. That's right. Now, uh, post-secondary education payments and, you know, all the other yep, things. Absolutely weddings and so Absolutely. forth that's going to be happening down the road yep. there now you're in this what's called a sandwich generation either sure. you're taking care of the the generation above you or the generation below you but you're stuck in the middle um and you're you have to figure out both there are people who just handle these situations fire by fire right throw money here throw money there and then when it comes time to handle everything collectively it's not a cohesive plan yeah and it's not just a money issue as well um, because it, 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 I, know, I brought up this idea of self-care, right? Thinking about your friend as well. When you build your base, right? When that, when that mask comes down and you put the oxygen mask on yourself first, it's because there's, there's a base level of care that you need to take um, with respect to yourself, right? Yeah. To make sure, again, financial is part of it, an important piece of it, don't get me wrong. But not the only piece. But not the only piece, yeah, right? And it is, what, what we always advocate is if you take, if you take the time to build that base, if you've done a proper thinking, a proper plan, then you'll have the options available to you. You can choose what options you wish to pursue based on financial, lifestyle, time that you've got, everything else, right? Yeah, we've only got a couple minutes before we have to go, um, but I, I would like to leave some tips for our viewers and listeners about this. Um, conventional, uh, conventionally in our, in our business, in our industry, what's your goal? Retirement. Here's your plan for retirement. Have a nice day. Right. Okay. What gets missed out is tell me about your family structure. Yeah. Are you caring for elderly parents? Caring not only financially, right. but with your time. Family dynamic. Tell me about your family. Tell me about all the goals you would like to have. Right. What are your dreams and wishes for every member that's important to you in your family? Right. Then I have a better picture. So tip number one. Do not go in with a solo goal. Go in with a holistic view of all your concerns, 
your problems, your issues, and the things that you'd like to get solved. Right. That's step number one. Yep. Step number two, build a retirement and financial plan for all these goals together. Do not do it in silo pieces. Yep. Because if you do it in silo pieces, one will have to then sacrifice the other. Well, that's maybe the problem, is you may not know what you're sacrificing if it's done in silos, right? So Correct. what I was going to say is, is add to that, is be dynamic. So in my mom's case, things in your dad's case, not the same as, as mine, but there's, there's care requirements that you have. Yep. There, it changes all the time, right? And so it's not, a plan is never set and forget. It's about constantly reviewing against the experiences that you're trying to have. Yeah. As an example, when my mom had to go into a home, okay, that wasn't, we wanted to plot mom in a home. Uh, when, my, when, when dad passed, as you know, mom stayed with me. As her dementia got worse, she became socially isolated in my house because I was at work. That was not the best experience for her. We had to reevaluate based on that, go back to the plan and do another set of calculations. And you need a team that you can work with to help the situation. That's right. They may not have all the answers. They may not have all the resources to do it, but they can help you quarterback and find the solutions to right. this. In this stage of life where you're transitioning to, so you're less than 10 years away from retirement and you're going into retirement, is the most vulnerable time in your life, yeah. not only from a financial perspective, but from a family dynamic perspective. So having the right team on board is tip number three. Yep. Make sure that you have the right team members who have got experience and expertise in these areas so that you do not have to guess, cross your fingers and hope it all works out. You actually have a plan that you know will work for your specific family situation. Absolutely. Nobody's alone in this as you go through retirement. Nobody's alone. There's a big community and there's specialists that can help you put it together. And we're going to talk about that process at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, you know, when you talk about a seminar or a webinar that you put together, and you most will talk about the how do you handle your portfolio, yep. Faisal? What's going on in this growth bucket you keep on talking about? Sure, I'll cover that. But there's also a, a conversation about the biggest risks in retirement. Now, we'll touch on the financial side of it, of course, because it's a financial session. But we want people to come in and think about all of their fi family dynamics. Right. Right. And how do you achieve all of those goals? And that's the interesting thing is I would love for anybody listening or watching this to say to their advisor, make all my goals become a reality. Mm -hmm. Here are all my goals. Make it work and watch how hard they have to put things together to figure it out, to make it. It's, it's unbelievable what you have to do. Yeah. So we're going to have these kind of conversations. We're going to show you the biggest risk and the solution to the problem on Tuesday, July 13th, 7 p.m. Live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we want to thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on CHQR 770. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.